Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning into these spaces. Spirit, Give us yourself that we would understand the word of God to be molded by it and be molded by your son, Jesus Christ, as by faith we are being recreated after his image, as Paul says in Colossians. Father, would we know the welcome to anyone and everyone who comes to Jesus by faith of grace because of what he's done, because of what you've done on the cross for us. Jesus, do a good work now in the reading and preaching of your scriptures, we pray. In your name and for your sake, amen. Please be seated. This is going to be awkward. Maya and Jake, is my water bottle right there? Uh, Maybe it's, Brittany, do you see it behind you in that? Is it, it, yeah, it's, well, it's lavender. I'll take it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Matches my eyes. Sorry for that, but I would have been uptight and anxious all sermon if, if I didn't have... Okay, we can start now. One of the more popular books that's going around pastoral circles right now as people talk, as pastors talk to one another, and maybe a couple of you have seen this book as well. It's called The Great De-Churching. It's written by a couple of people, and it's talking about how right now in this cultural moment in the U.S., people are leaving the church of Jesus at rates that have never been seen before, and not only that, People have been leaving the church at higher rates than anybody has ever come to the church. So think about periods in American history when a lot of people came into the church all at once. First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, after the Civil War, after World War II, more people are leaving the church now than engaged with the church and started coming to church during any of those periods. Now, I haven't actually read this book I've, I've listened to some podcasts done when the authors were, were interviewed by it. A couple reasons I haven't read it yet. For one thing, all of my pastor friends are talking about it, so why do I have to read it? I already know everything about it, and I'm thinking of purchasing a copy and putting it on my shelf 
next to all of those C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien books that I've never read. That's my expert biosmosis shelf. It's going to work just fine. Another reason as to why I haven't read the book is as I continue to hear about the book from various sources, I think to myself, that sounds too much like my day job. <laughs> That's kind of depressing. And, and we felt it. I felt it whether here at Liberty Collingswood, within the Liberty Communion of Churches, or more broadly in the U.S. among friends and family, there is a de-churching occurring. And maybe for you yourself, you've thought, hey, is church right for me? Should I be a church goer, a church engager in this next season of the life of our world? Or maybe you have friends and neighbors yourself that used to be at church but then are not anymore. So we feel those tensions. But I probably am going to read the book eventually. It's a very statistically driven book, so it takes a lot of assumptions in various ways and put, put some numbers by them. So people are leaving churches in large numbers. Why? Some of the reasons that not hard for me to figure out, gender and sexuality, there's that whole set of tensions there, but then other reasons that I wouldn't have guessed. And I'll crowdsource this. Shout it out if you want to take a guess. What is the number one reason, statistically speaking, thousands and thousands surveyed, studied, as to why people who were in the habit of going to church have stopped? What's the reason? Any guesses? No? Brunch? Tempting. Sports? No? COVID? No? Politics? All, all of these things are there on the list one way or another. But the, the number one, and if you didn't guess it, we're in good company, or we're in the same company. I don't know if it's good company because I didn't think of it either. Moving. So apparently you were engaged in a church, but then you move somewhere else. Moving is always very busy. You're sprinting to get to a new spot. You're unpacking. You're building community and all that stuff. And apparently that's the number of reasons as to why, well, in my old place where I live, I was engaged with church and community, but it's just sort of fallen off the radar here in this new season of life. And for me, and this didn't come from the authors that I've listened to about this book or it didn't come from the book, here's an attempt from me to simplify a lot of these findings, and hopefully it's not an oversimplification, although it is a simplification. What's the bottom line? Why do people that have been in church, have stopped going to church, have gotten out of the habit? Maybe you could put it this way. One way or another, it simply became true for these friends that Jesus was not enough anymore. Jesus was not enough. Or to think of it from the other direction, if it's true that a robust faith in the robust Christ leads and coheres with robust engagement in a church community, if that engagement in a church community falls off, one way or another, the whole Jesus thing didn't seem to be enough, a big enough part of one's life one way or another. Maybe Jesus was seen out of step with cultural context, unhelpful, toxic, or maybe just not that important, where there are a lot of other things that are more of a big deal to me right now than staying engaged with people that name the name of Jesus. Now, great de-churching, a little bit of a depressing thing to think about. I'm sure a depressing book to read, and there is some discouragement there. But I also take some consolation in a couple different ways, too. Because for me as a pastor, 
for anybody to be at the place where we're really starting to weigh and wrestle with, is Jesus really enough for me? If I make Jesus the center of everything that I do, is that Jesus fixed point enough? Can Jesus handle all of it? Is Jesus designed to be able to actually do this? I'm not so sure, but let me dig in. Let me take a step towards. Maybe Jesus can be enough for me. That's where you grow. That's where your faith is tested. That's where your faith is refined. And besides this question, is Jesus enough or not? That's not a new struggle that just occurred to people in 2023. It's an old struggle. It's been going on for generations all the way back to the beginning of the church. And there are many letters within the New Testament itself, actually, that in one way or another weigh the question or engages with the question, is Jesus enough for you or not? And that includes, matter of fact, the book of Colossians, from which we're drawing a sermon series this fall. The Colossian error or the Colossian heresy, is Jesus enough for this church Or is there some mixing and matching, syncretism, to use that word, going on when we're trying to collect things together in different ways? Paul has said so far in the book of Colossians, and we've been talking about this, Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. And if you or I are at the point of saying, well, I'm not sure if Jesus is enough or not, according to Paul, I think Paul would say back, you don't really know or understand the fullness of who Jesus is. And when I hear some statistics about the great de-churching, again, here's why I can relax a little bit. Because the claims of Christ, as they come to us from the scriptures, they are big, they are so big, they are bananas big, they are bonkers big, that if you're going to believe all of that stuff about Jesus, the Holy Spirit has to help you to do that. Because it's so incredibly faith-stretching, the claims of Christ, that we can't do that on our own anyway. I was talking with a friend recently who was wrestling with the things of faith, calls himself a Christian. And he's like, hey, am I a Christian because I have these doubts and I have these struggles? I said, hey, man, the Holy Spirit is at work in you, and you can't have taken the steps of faith towards Jesus without the Holy Spirit at all. These are questions that Christians wrestle with, not non-Christians. Take comfort, take faith. But the thing about Jesus, and this is true if you're a committed Christian, if you're putting together the pieces of faith or you're not so sure, if Jesus is everything, while at the same time we approach Christ, if I could put it this way, as a top-off, as opposed to a totality, we're never going to get the enoughness of Jesus. Jesus is a totality and not a top-off. If you're in a Jersey diner, a couple of weeks ago, my dad grew up in western Pennsylvania, my brother in Washington, D.C., which is really a fake city compared to Philadelphia, took both of them to a Jersey diner for the first time, and they had Jersey diner breakfast, and they were like, You know, this could be anywhere in the U.S. I'm like, but it's not. (laughs) And our server kept coming over and topping us off with coffee. You know, nice little cherry on top with the overall Jersey Diner breakfast experience. If that's what Jesus is to you, just a little bit of a top off. A little bit of an accessorizing. 
on a life that's already pretty complete and going well, you are going to be set up to begin to think that Jesus is not enough for you. If it's just to begin with that little bit extra. The Apostle Paul here in the book of Colossians says Jesus is everything. He's got to be at the center. He's before all things. He made all things. And all things tend to him as he's glorified in all of creation. So I want to talk in two parts from here, thinking about Jesus the Son, who he is, and what he means for us. Jesus the Son, who he is, and what he means for us. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. You might say that this is a part of a larger section of Colossians chapter 1 in a couple of different ways. The chunk of Colossians 15 to 20 talk about Jesus as supreme. Jesus is preeminent in a couple of different ways. 15 to 17 talk about the supremacy of Jesus as it relates to creation and then also as it relates to redemption. That's verses 18 to 20. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks. We have Scott Floven, I believe, preaching to us from the Psalms this coming Sunday. And then so it is. The he at the beginning of Colossians 1.15 is Jesus. And technically speaking, if you go back to the ancient language, the he is a who. He is the image of the invisible God, but in the original language, that he is a who that reaches before Okay, who is the he at the beginning of verse 15? Well, Paul has just recently been writing about Jesus. He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom, the Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and who is the image of God, the firstborn over all creation. And this idea of Jesus being supreme again, continuing this really long sentence in Colossians 1, The ancient Greek world, original language for all, which can be translated as all or every sometimes, in 15 to 20, it occurs eight times. Over and over again, Paul says, Jesus is all and all and all and all. He is, as Paul says here, the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? To be an image of something, going back to the original language once again, icon, and we have that same word in English, iconography. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That means that Jesus is the embodiment, the fullness of representation of one thing or one person to another. Now, does that mean if Jesus is the image of the invisible God, kind of like in the 90s when I was collecting Bruce Springsteen bootleg cassette tapes, when you didn't want a fourth or fifth generation cassette tape because the copy wasn't that good? You want early generation? Is Jesus just some vague, late generation, not really the real thing copy? No. In this case, he is the fullness of everything that God is. As it's explicated at different parts of the New Testament, the beginning of the letter of Hebrews, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. There's this creation idea. Jesus, he, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the fullness of God to us. Or in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
Or later on, when Jesus is engaging with his disciples in John 14, the apostle Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Last Sunday evening, I had a great time with Liberty Youth. Wasn't it fun? Liberty Youth, we were talking, we solved every question in the history of the world about the book of Revelation last, 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 last Sunday night. And I said at Liberty Youth, whether you're a student or an adult, we can pour so much energy into trying to find and touch and connect with the transcendent, connect with the divine. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to go everywhere and search high and climb up to God. Jesus comes down so that he's able to say to Philip, for example, in the gospel of John, you don't have to look far and wide. I am standing in front of you. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. And then also the firstborn of all creation, Paul goes on to say. And this firstborn doesn't mean that Jesus is an early aspect of creation. Jesus himself is not a created being, but rather he is co-creator within the Trinity, deep waters here, of God the Father. Clarified in the very next verse. For by him, by Jesus the Son, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. Drawing on this great tradition from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, where God created with a personified wisdom or the word, this is Jesus Christ. He created all things, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you could put it this way. Jesus the Son is the source, is the agent is the end of all creation, of all creation. He's the source. He's before all things. He's the agent, the sustainer. All things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together in the end that all things were created for him. And if Jesus truly is the center of all things and created all things, for me or anybody else to say, and according to the mindset of the scriptures, Jesus isn't enough for me. It's almost a category error. Kind of like this. Say you're driving in a car, you're riding shotgun with a friend of yours, and your friend, as a friend is driving, says, you know what I think is bogus? You say, what? Cars. And you say, what do you mean cars? And your friend says, there's no such thing as a car. Cars don't exist. It's a, oh wait, we're running late. We, we have to get somewhere. I have to drive faster. Cars don't exist. Don't believe anybody that says cars are real. But you say, yeah, but aren't you drive? And he's, oh, hold on, honk. Use a turn signal, you big jabroni. There are no cars. No cars. But you're in one. We're in God's world. And to say that there's no Jesus, who's the center of all things, and Jesus is not enough? This is where we are. 
One scholar's put it this way, and this is a reflection quote for you. What holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue, but a person, the resurrected Christ. Without Jesus, electrons would not continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to work. The planets would not stay in their orbits. Things only make sense when Christ is kept at the center. Or over 100 years ago, another theologian, and you may have heard this quote before, maybe not, Abraham Kuyper, Dutch guy, said, and I'll paraphrase, there is not one square inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ doesn't say, mine. He's Lord of all. Now let's juxtapose these two ideas. On one hand, there's not a square inch of all of creation over which Jesus Christ doesn't say, mine. But then on the other hand, we are so prone and will tend so often to thinking, whether we're a Christian or not, Jesus, you're not enough. But even as we say that, and if I want to say to Jesus, Jesus, you're not enough, I need to recognize, kind of like the car thing, Jesus, you're not enough. But I'm saying that with the mind that Jesus has given me. I'm saying that with the language structures that Jesus has given me. I'm saying that with the breath that Jesus has given me. I'm saying that with the life that Jesus has given me in the world that Jesus Christ has given me. If you are somebody that is not sure if any of this stuff is true or feeling some real stretches and tensions in your faith, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being in dialogue with us. But understand, too, that following Jesus, there's only the deep end of the swimming pool. There's no shallow end. There's only the deep end because Jesus is so radical, because the claims of Jesus are so bananas, bonkers, big. Now, there's some balances here. At a place like Liberty Collingswood, and this is true of all of the churches in the Liberty Communion, we want to make Jesus and following him accessible to people that don't have a previous experience of church or relationship with Jesus, people for whom all of this stuff is new. We want to give you toeholds and footholds to say, okay, I can see how some of this is making sense, and I'm learning some of these rhythms. And we're committed to that forever. But that's, to use a pool analogy, toeholds and footholds of the ladder into the deep end of the swimming pool. It's not a floaty into the kiddie pool. Because Jesus is deep. Jesus is wide. Jesus is broad. Or another balance the claims of Jesus, they are incredibly large. He's the center of everything. And you need the Holy Spirit. You need faith to believe and understand that. But at the same time, believing in Jesus is not illogical or irrational. And I'll just say this and leave it there. If Jesus is not the creator of all things, how do we explain all this stuff? Now, there are a lot of smart people that would take a lot of different answers to that question, and I don't discount the intelligence of the people that have argued on multiple sides of this. But let's just go common sense. I say you're middle-aged, and you're married, and your spouse is not doing that well, kind of going through maybe a midlife crisis sort of thing, and then one day you see a pink Porsche parked outside, and you say, spousey? Is that your Porsche? And Spousey says, no. But then you come back and say, Spousey, your name is on the personalized license plate. 
I think it's yours. Spousey says, yeah, it's mine. Well, how did it get here? I don't know. It just showed up. It came from nowhere. You're not going to believe Spousey. Right? That all of this stuff and all of its complexity come from nowhere. And I said there's a lot of smart people on all you know, angles of this question. And there are a lot of many of the most brilliant minds in the history of the world, science and philosophy and everything in between, that have said it doesn't make any sense to look at all of this creation and say there's no creator. That is a category error. And for that same reason, the top-off model, if we think that way about Jesus, it's totally flawed. What Jesus wants to do with you and with me is not to give you a cherry on top, but instead take you down to the studs and rebuild from there. Let me be your everything, Jesus says, which is good news because at that point we can enjoy creation as we're in relationship with the creator through Jesus Christ and know, hey, all of this is, it's a good world that God has made tending to his glory, but also challenging because if Jesus is everything, he demands everything of all of us since he is Lord. And we're called, what's yours is not yours, it's Jesus. Anything you have is to be stewarded for the good of others and the glory of God. And we're to obey completely because Jesus truly is the center of everything. So that's who he is. And let me give you three things about what that means for us. Jesus is somebody that rescues us personally, that relativizes us politically, and that renews all things completely. He rescues us personally. And that's really good news. Jesus, Paul says here in Colossians chapter 1, is the image of the invisible God. What's Jesus doing in us? A couple chapters later in Colossians, he puts it this way. Speaking to the church, he tells them, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And if you believe in him, he is renewing you according to that same image personally. Jesus gives you a personal rescue. The allness of Jesus is personal through and through and through. Again, good news for us. In this cultural moment, personhood is a huge deal. And if there is one baseline cultural narrative and there are good and healthy aspects of this, then there are going too far sinful or idolatrous aspects of this. Be yourself, be yourself, be yourself. Discover who you are and be that person no matter what. Don't let anybody get in your way. On a secular view, though, ultimately you're going to lose it. If you'd permit me to speak inelegantly for a moment, we're all going to die. That's coming. And if this material world is all of it is, for all of the energy that we put into our personhood, it's either going to be extinguished or absorbed at the very end. Extinguished. The flame of our lives, the flame of this world just goes out, poof. Or, and I do have secular friends and neighbors that, that would put it this way, no, it's, we're not extinguished. One way or another, yeah, you could put it that way, but 
what really is going to happen is we're going to be reabsorbed, either materially or spiritually or something in between. We're going to be reabsorbed into the life force of the universe, and that's going to be a beautiful thing. So we're going to continue forever. My thought about that is kind of like this. Bruce Springsteen was playing a benefit concert, and, and you can find it on Spotify or wherever, the legendary No Nukes concert, 1979, maybe Bruce's best live album. So he was headlining a benefit show at Madison Square Garden, and Tom Petty was another person on the bill, a very young Tom Petty, playing before Bruce, and Petty tells the story this way. Okay, I'm going on before Bruce, and the promoter, right before I go on, comes to me and says, okay, once you get on stage and when you're playing, especially as you've been playing a little bit, you're going to hear, boo, but don't worry. They're not saying boo, they're saying Bruce. You're not being booed, everybody's going, Bruce. And the way that Petty tells the story is he told the promoter, what the bleep's the difference? <laughs> right? So whether we're extinguished or absorbed at the very end of time, kind of like what Tom Petty said. The big cancel, the ultimate erasure is coming, but not in Jesus. We're in heaven. If you believe in Jesus, it's going to be your eyes that behold the Lamb of God. It's going to be your ears that will hear him speak. It's going to be your heart and your body that receive him. And you will be you, only a better you, a youer you, created and renewed completely in God's image all the way through, throughout time, time without end. Jesus renews us personally, and then also he relativizes us politically. There's been scholarly debate over the centuries about the end of verse 16. Are we talking about Caesar or Satan here, to put it that way? For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, and what's being talked about here, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, are these socio-political, geopolitical rulers, the Caesars of the world? The Caesar was the biggest king on the chessboard at that point. Or is it, hey, the invisible principalities, demons, Satan? And I think on balance, the best answer is it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, anti-God, satanic order in the world that filters down into systems and rulers, whether then or now. But Paul is saying here, they're not the big boss. They're not the ultimate authority. And in fact, Jesus is instead. Going back to the podcast that, I've been, that I was listening to about the great dechurching, one of the authors of that book put it this way. If, if you haven't noticed, Jesus in politics or our political selves are a big deal right now for a lot of different reasons, this is what the statistics bear out. If you're a follower of Jesus, think of the cart and the horse. Say one is Jesus and the other is your political self or your political views. If your political views and political self are the horse and Jesus is the cart, where the core of you is your political ideology with Jesus trailing behind, Statistically speaking, there's a good chance that you might not be a Christian five years from now because politics are such a big deal right now. And instead, and this I think is what Paul is saying here, all of those thrones and rulers and authorities, they are not your Lord Jesus's. Jesus needs to be the horse. Jesus needs to be the driver. 
And if that's the case, your political self, ideologies, views, they're the cart. And so Jesus as the driver influences you and what you believe about the world and our nation and all of that stuff. But here's a corollary too. If Jesus is your horse and the political self is the cart, that means that any church, including Liberty Church Collingswood, you're going to need to be comfortable with other people having different political carts than you. And that's just normal. And that's how it should be. And there are going to be tension points coming again. Most of us probably are in some combination of grieving and freaking out over the conflict in the Middle East right now, right? And I think most of us would say, hopefully there would be agreement that the terrorist attack from Gaza onto Israel was horrible, but then there are probably different carts that would have different opinions about how we got to this point and what a good and fair and just solution from this point will be. At a church, that's okay because those are the carts and not the horse. Our home meetings are starting. They're going to be great. But you know what that means. If you're driving to a home meeting, you're going to park on a street with bumper stickers politically that are different than yours. And as you're driving up and parking, you might be thinking as you see another person walking in from a specific car, how could that person be a follower of Jesus and have those bumper stickers? Well, number one, take heart that that person probably thinks the same thing about you and your bumper stickers. And then you're going to be sitting around a prayer time and their brother or sister is going to say something like, hey, I'm really freaking out about what's happening politically right now because, but the one that person gets to the because, that's a very different political opinion than you have. Now, wisdom of the world cultural moment is, hey, this is a group that's unsafe for you. You need to exit. Press the ejector button as soon as possible. But the wisdom of Jesus says, this is a brother and sister. Feel free to dialogue and engage. It's okay to disagree. But you love this person through those differences. And maybe you can figure out a way to pray for that person even. You see, the goal of human personhood is not a surface-level safety, but a robust resilience that Jesus draws you towards, or even theologically. Sometimes you might think, hey, what I believe about what the Bible says is different than what this other person at church believes about what the Bible says or what the leadership believes about what the Bible says. You know what? That's okay because the basis of our unity is not agreement anyway. Those are not the ropes. That is not the rigging. It is Jesus. And so we are able to practice unity at cost, which is beautiful, glorious, countercultural, real, and enduring. Jesus relativizes us politically. But then this is where we'll wrap up. He renews all things. So if this is the creation part of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, it's bookended by redemption, what Jesus did on the cross. The Son, verses 13 and 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then next time from Colossians 18 to 20, all about the cross. Jesus renews you, not because you're awesome and I'm awesome, not because I'm so bad and you're so bad, but he's like, it doesn't matter. It matters so much that I paid the penalty of your sin on the cross. And I conquered it, canceled the debt and the death and rose again so that you can be completely forgiven and new. 
And that's what Jesus is doing for the whole world. We have a worldview of hope. We're not going to burn this world. It's not just going to be extinguished, absorbed, or flame out. It's going to be renewed because Jesus is coming back. We'll continue including with more application in a couple weeks, but I want to get to a missionary presentation. That's where we'll stop for today. Jesus is your all in all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.